Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. As Mike just said, I'm Jacob, I'm the digital coordinator here at Encounter and wear many, many, many other hats as well. Uh, recently though, I got my P-plate, so that means I'm legally, legally allowed to drive by myself. So watch out, pedestrians and everybody else. 95% of the time that I'm driving though, I am totally lost. Totally lost. I've on multiple occasions pulled over when I thought I passed my exit, only to realise my exit was five turns ago. Yeah. Uh, on one particular occasion driving home from this city, uh, do you, any of you guys use Google Maps? Yeah, yeah? yeah? Uh, so if you've used Google Maps, you know that you'll turn onto a road and you say, continue on this road for 10 kilometres. And then it won't say anything until the last 400 metres when you have to suddenly turn left while you're in the right lane. Um, so in this particular occasion, I was driving and 10 minutes had passed, 15 minutes had passed, 20 minutes had passed, and I just kept driving and driving, and I was like, it's all right, Google Maps will tell me when to turn. My phone had died. <laughs> but I trusted the Google Maps would give me directions to home eventually, and sometimes I feel that way with the Bible. If I just keep reading, surely I'll get the revelation that I actually need. Surely I'll get the word that I need from God for this moment. But what if, what if our Bibles have ceased to be useful? What if, like my phone, the Bible no longer gives accurate directions? How do we know that we can trust the Bible? That's the topic for today. How do we know we can trust the Bible? It's actually such an important topic that no other topics matter if this isn't true. If we can't trust the Bible, no other topics matter. The divinity of Jesus is never in question if the very book that says Jesus was divine isn't true. In fact, it's so important that it's a common argument when people go to oppose Christian faith to disprove the Bible and discredit the Bible. Because if you can discredit the Bible, there's no point in being here. We can pack up church, we can go home, no more 7.30 starts. <laughs> so this morning, uh, I'm going to attempt to prove three things. Number one, is the Bible a reliable historical record? Number two, that the Bible is uniquely inspired by God. And number three, that the Bible still carries authority and relevance today. So key points to remember when we're talking about ancient manuscripts, um, talking like the Bible or James Norrie's birth certificate. <laughs> the more ancient manuscripts we have, happy birthday. The more ancient manuscripts we have, the more certainty we have about the true nature of the text. The more ancient the text is, the closer it is to the original, and the closer it is to the original, the more accurate it's likely to be. And the quality of the text is just as important as the age of the text. So these are three key points that I'm going to bring up while I'm talking about ancient manuscripts. Probably not any more James's uh, birth certificate, though. So the Old Testament. Uh, as many of you may or may not know, um, it's thought that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Uh, and in the Old Testament, a lot of the stuff that happened in Genesis was before Moses was born. So you might think, how did he know what happened before he was born? Well, in pre-literary societies, history was passed verbally through oral tradition. And it was thought until recently that it's not reliable. It's totally unreliable. Have you guys ever played the game where you try and, like, say, first person starts with the word, and right at the end you get a totally different word, works fantastic with the youth group. 
But what they found is that in the regions of Asia, India, India Africa, and, the Oceania, and Oceania, it's proven to be untrue, that we can actually trust oral traditions because there's epics or long narratives that last for up to 25 hours and take multiple days to actually tell. And in these cases, the way that they're kept accurate is a group of people learn them, and as one person's telling the story, the others in the group confirm or deny the facts of the story. So if I said, hey, five years ago, we had an encounter camp, and it was amazing, and 30 people got saved. Jeremy and Mike over here would say, encounter didn't exist five years ago, Jacob. What are you talking about? And so that's how we can trust oral tradition. And so Moses compiled the oral tradition and the very limited written text we have, and that compiles what Genesis is. So when we're talking about the actual text of the Old Testament, it's made up of a few different texts, uh, and I'm just going to list them uh, in a big list and explain a little bit what they are. Um, the Masoretic text, which is a standardized version of the Old Testament, um, made in uh, around 600 AD. The Dead Sea Scrolls, which are ancient Jewish manuscripts. The Septuagint, which is a third century BC Greek translation of the Old Testament. The Samaritan Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible in the Samaritan language. The Targums, ancient paraphrases of the Old Testament into Aramaic, as well as the Jewish Talmud, which is a collection of Jewish law. That's what makes up the Old Testament. Now, that's a lot of different things to make up one book. And some of those inter interlap. And, and that's how we can tell, actually, that it's um, trustworthy, because if you remember one of our key points, the more ancient manuscripts we have, the more certainty we can have of the true nature of the text. There's actually a scribing process. This is one of the ways that um, we can tell that the Old Testament's really accurate because the quality of the text is so high. Um, the Hebrew people held such a high regard of scripture that they had a very specific scribing process for when the old manuscripts got worn and old, they would do a new scribing process. They do, they do a, a new manuscript and they write it out. Um, and it's so trustworthy because it's so intricate. So I'm just gonna list some of the things they did. Not all, this is just some. Each column of writing, could have no less than 48 and no more than 60 lines. They had to verbalize each word aloud while they were writing. I can type way faster and I can write way faster than I can talk, which you might not believe, but I can. <laughs> there had to be a review within 30 days and if as many as three pages required corrections, the whole thing had to be redone. In my Bible, uh, Genesis is 95 pages. If there's one mistake on three of those pages, that's it, restart, do it again. The letters, words, and paragraphs had to be counted, and the document became invalid if two letters touched each other. No cursive. The layout had to also be exact. So the middle paragraph of the document, and then the middle word in that paragraph, in that paragraph, and then the middle letter of that word in the paragraph had to be the exact same across all of the manuscripts. As such, the quality of these manuscripts surpassed all other ancient manuscripts, not just the religious ones, all of them, which was proven when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls and they predate the earliest Hebrew manuscripts we have available by a thousand years and the only variations is in spelling and style. I don't know if you've read anything written a thousand years ago, but it's very different spelling and very different style and very different words. That's the Old Testament, New Testament, manuscripts. The quantity we have of the New Testament manuscripts is unparalleled in ancient literature. Again, not just religious literature, all literature. We have over 5,000 Greek manuscripts, around 8,000 Latin manuscripts, and 1,000 manuscripts in other languages. The next closest is Homer, the writer, not the character in The Simpsons. 
who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, which were claimed as foundational in ancient Greek literature, with roughly 2,000 manuscripts. That's a lot less. That's significantly less. But because of all these manuscripts, we have variant readings. However, if you remember when we were talking again about key points to remember, the more ancient manuscripts we have, the more certainty we can be about the true nature of the text. And so what scholars do with the Old Testament is they compile these documents and they go, what one is going to best explain all of the other ones in a given passage? What translation, what manuscript is going to explain the best and what lines up the best? You can actually see in your own Bible, if you see a little tiny letter next to a passage in your Bible, for example, uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 34, uh, it actually says in there that a sentence that Jesus says is not included in some early manuscripts. And so in that, we can see the integrity of the translation of the Bible. Most of the New Testament manuscripts we have were actually created within 200 years of the original writing, with some of the manuscripts being created within 100 years of the original writing. And the closer the text is to the original, the more accurate the text is likely to be. In comparison, Homer's Iliad was 400 years between the original and the first manuscript we have. Now, a common argument that you may have heard by secular scholars is that the story of Jesus was blown way out of proportion. It was written, you know, like 200 years after he was born. It was made into legend. There's no way that this Jesus character could actually be who he said he was. Well, in fact, the original text was first noted as being written in 35 AD. If you do a little bit of math, that's not long after Jesus died. And the last one around 95 AD. That's less than 100 years since the events actually occurred, significantly less. And so it would be impossible for myths and rumours to circulate without eyewitnesses of the events coming forward, such as me telling everybody that 30 people got saved five years ago at Encounter Church. Luke says in his Gospel, um, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, many have undertaken to draw up an account of things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed also good to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So inside of the Bible and in the manuscripts, we can see that it's accurate, and it's, it's accurate across most all, all ancient literature. But what about outside of the Bible? Because I can tell you that I can fly, but unless you see me fly, you're not going to believe it, are you? So, outside of the Bible, the Jewish secular historian Flavius Josephus has made specific references to John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, and James in his book Antiquities of the Jews. In fact, he gives much background about the Herods, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees, and the high priests like Annas and Caiaphas and Roman emperors. Uh, other historians include Cornelius Tacitus and Suetonius, uh, the Roman governor Pliny the Younger, and the Jewish Talmud. In fact, archaeology has actually been one of the chief sticking points for the Bible outside of the Bible. It's thought to have proven lots of biblical facts just to be untrue. Well, in fact, when you hear someone tell you that, that's not true. Because the archaeology has, in fact, proven hundreds of biblical statements. The Nuzi Mara and Ebla tablets and the excavations at Alala have all provided background information that fits well with the Genesis stories in the patriarchal period. Moving to the New Testament, it's found geographical details in the life of Jesus in the Gospels, such as the Pool of Siloam, the Pool of Bethesda, Jacob's Well, Bethlehem, Nazareth, Cana, Capernaum, Chorazin, the residence of Pilate in Jerusalem, and the pavement in John chapter 19, verse 13, just to name a few. 
If this evidence is not enough to at least prove that the Bible is a reliable historical document, then you would also have to consider almost all other ancient literature to be unreliable. All right, how are we doing? You still with me? We're we're going to do a quick recap, real quick recap. Old Testament, quality of the text, unparalleled. The trustworthiness of oral tradition, very trustworthy. Variety of sources, very good. (laughs) New Testament, quality of manuscripts, allows us to be certain of the true meaning of the text. Age of the manuscripts, allows us to be certain of the accuracy. Outside of the Bible, sources related to the Bible confirm biblical locations, events, and people. Fantastic. That's what we want to know. But this alone is not actually enough to say that we can trust the Bible. It proves that the statements and the things that happened in the Bible were factual, but it provides no personal impact. With this alone, our Bible is at the very least on par with other ancient literature. So how do we know that the Bible is uniquely inspired by God? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The Bible calls itself the inspired word of God. That's it. That's it. Done. No, I'm kidding. If the Bible is reliable with historical record, then these claims must at the very least be taken seriously and investigated. Because just because I say I'm a pilot doesn't mean I'm allowed to fly a plane. The authors of the Bible believed that what they were writing was from God. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, where Paul to- tells the church at Corinth that, in fact, that what they have learned is from the Spirit of God. And over and over we see prophets stated, this is what the Lord says. Check out Isaiah and literally any of the other prophets if you're curious about how many times they say, this is what the Lord says. Jesus himself claims that David was inspired by God in Mark chapter 12, verse 36. David himself says, by the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls his disciples to be his spokesmen, and then he tells them the Spirit of God will guide them. If the writers of the New Testament were guided by the Spirit of God, we can trust that that included in their writing of the New Testament. We can also see it in the unity of the Bible. It was written in 1,600 years by 40 different people, And the theme of sin, God, Jesus, and salvation stays the same throughout. I actually did did an Instagram poll um, this week and to see how many Old Testament prophecies Jesus fulfilled. Um, The number is 350 Old Testament prophecies Jesus fulfilled. And just to show you how extraordinary that is, we'll do a little bit of math. Um, The mathematics and astronomy professor, Peter Stoner, says the chances that he would fulfill just eight is 1 in 10 to the power of 17. That's 1 in 10 with 17 zeros on the end. The chance that he would complete just 16 is 1 in 10 to the 45 power. That's 1 with 10 and then 45 zeros after that. That's extraordinary. Just 16 and he did over 350. The message of the Bible was so impactful that so many people have tried to silence it over the last 4,000 years. The exile of the Israelites into Babylon. The destruction of the temple in Jerusalem by Rome. The Roman emperor Diocletian, actually prece- who preceded Constantine, famously boasted of destroying all Christian writings from the face of the earth. And yet, Constantine, when asking for copies of the Christian Bible, had 50 within 25 hours. The church historian Eusebius wrote in Ecclesiastical History, all this persecution has been fulfilled in our day. We saw with our own eyes our houses of worship thrown down from the elevation. And get this next part, the sacred scriptures of inspiration committed to flames in the midst of the markets. 
yet we still have our Bibles. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Finally, the unique message we find nowhere else in religion in our Bibles, that we are sinners, that we are irredeemable by our own actions, that the cost of our sin is death, and the price of our sin was paid by Jesus on the cross, that through his death we are forgiven, and through his life we are reconciled with God. His grace overcomes all our failures in a way that we could never hope to. This is similar to a sinner's prayer. We recognize our sin, and we come to Jesus asking forgiveness, which he's freely given for you and me. There's no DIY, save yourself here. It was given by grace, and it's received by faith. So let's pause for a second. We've established our Bibles are historically reliable, and we've established that, the God, that God has inspired the Bible. And surely that's enough, right? And I could end the message here, and I could. I could end the message here. But I actually want to leave you with something a bit more compelling than the facts because it's all well and good to say the Bible is accurate and the Bible is inspired by God, but it was written 2,000-ish years ago, and how can something that's so old carry relevance and authority today? We can see in the global impact of the message inherent to the Bible. 2.4 billion Christians worldwide. It is the most circulated book in history, with 3.9 billion copies sold worldwide in the last 50 years. Second place is actually quotations from the works of Mao Zedong at 820 million copies a quarter, and Harry Potter doesn't even come close. (laughs) The theologian David Bloch says, Scripture is seen as authoritative because it is penetrated and filled with the Holy Spirit. If the Bible is inspired by God... It carries the authority of God within the inspiration of God. Let me say that again. If the Bible is inspired by God, it carries the authority of God within the inspiration of God. John Wesley also says, all scripture is inspired of God. The spirit of God not only once inspired those who wrote it, but continually inspires and supernaturally assists those who read with earnest prayer. The spirit of God brings the words of people to life. And through the Holy Spirit, we find our interpretation of God, of the Word of God. So that through this manner, God is glorified and lives are changed. Our God is consistent and He never changes. And if the Word is inspired by God, the truth within the Bible remains the same today. No text in Scripture was given solely for the purposes of the people in the past, but all Scripture is intended to bring hope and healing to fallen people. We share something with the intended audience of the past, our human condition of sin and our need for Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Here in encounter, one of our missional goals, which you will see at the back there, is that we are uh, Bible-fed sorry, (laughs) and spirit-led. We can't actually be one without the other. The Spirit of God testifies on behalf of the Word of God, and the Word of God informs us what is from the Spirit of God. We can trust that what we read is the truth, and it is authoritative and relevant because the Holy Spirit within each of us testifies and reveals these things to us. The key to trusting the Bible is the Holy Spirit. As we worship, the Holy Spirit enters the room and brings us to an encounter with the living God. And as we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us to the truth of Jesus. Because what's our worship without the Holy Spirit but empty words trying to fill a room? And what is the Bible without the Holy Spirit but the written record of the dead, 
only relevant to those who are already buried. Jesus came to set you free from death and bring you hope, an everlasting hope, but the Holy Spirit came to transform the lives we live. We are convicted by the Holy Spirit. We are called by the Holy Spirit. We are given gifts and bear fruits by the Holy Spirit because Jesus gave you life and the Holy Spirit gives you something to do with the life you have been given. Because if the Bible can be trusted and is authoritative, then the Bible calls not for comprehension but for action. And there are two types of action that the Bible calls us to. One, repentance and picking up your cross and following Jesus. That's the hard one. To turn away from the sin in your life and say, I don't want this anymore. I want to follow Jesus. The following Jesus part is actually what gets you to repentance. Because as you turn to Jesus, you turn away from the sin behind you. Because Jesus can't be in the presence of sin. Maybe that's some of you tonight. That you're being called to pick up your cross and follow Jesus and turn away from the sin in your life. Maybe, though, some of you are looking for the second type of action, sharing the message of Jesus with urgency. Uh, This was a passion of my dad. And this is something that he was so passionate about and made him really upset, that people would live their lives and never know Jesus. And that's our job, to share the good news of Jesus with others. with urgency, because if we don't share it now, are we going to get a chance to in five years? Are we going to get a chance to in ten years? Are your friends still going to be here when you decide, finally, I want to share the good news of Jesus with them? Because just living it in your life is not enough. If you don't proclaim the good news of Jesus to people, how will they know that they have something they need to be saved from? If you're feeling convicted today, it's not because of my words, it's because of the spirit inside of you. So I encourage you, if you know somebody who doesn't know Christ this week, go up to them and share the message. Share share the message of the Bible that I spoke about earlier. That we are sinners. That we are irredeemable by our own actions. That the price of our sin is death, and that price was paid by Jesus. And that through his death we're forgiven and through his life we're reconciled with God. Share that to the people that you know if you want to see them saved in your lives. Because I'm all very happy to see all of you here now, but I'll be very upset if I get to heaven and I don't see any of these faces here. And I don't see more faces. And you'll probably also be upset when you get to heaven and you don't see your friends and family. So I challenge you, share that message. Share the message of Jesus to your friends because they need it just as much as you do. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.